Would you remain standing and recite with me the Shema as it's printed in your bulletins? Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Would you remain standing for the scripture passage? Our scripture passage for today is from Philippians chapter 4. My friend Josh Gill told me this week that in 2014, this passage was the most highlighted passage in the Bible version of the Kindle. It's a familiar Bible passage, and we read it this morning uh, as, the, as the Advent wreath was lit. Hear now the same words as translated by New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. Celebrate joyfully in the Lord all the time. I'll say it again. Celebrate. Let everybody know how gentle and gracious you are. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Rather, in every area of life, let God know what you want as you pray and make requests and give thanks as well. And God's peace, which is greater than we can ever understand, will keep guard over our hearts and minds in King Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. On the Christian calendar, the topic of joy shows up once a year during Advent, when for me, daylight is in short supply and high demand. This is the time of year that I feel the pressure of the Christmas crunch. I'm not certain I'll get all my shopping or my preparations done in time. I'm wondering how to get everything that sits on my calendar in the next 10 days fit in. And then there's work. This is a particularly hectic time for those of us who work in a church. Most evenings at our dinner table at home, we connect by answering the questions, what has been the best part of your day, the worst part of your day, and what are you excited about? My kids laughed this week when I said I was excited for December the 26th. Joy shows up as a topic each year when I'm having a hard time finding it. This is the time of year that I misplace joy or I hide it from myself, or I'm simply persevering until it arrives. I find that I'm waiting for joy. If I can just survive, if I can just survive the next 10 days, then there will be some joy. Not too long ago, I ran into an older friend that I hadn't seen in a while, and he said that he often prayed for me, and he asked how I was doing. I said, well, I'm about to turn 50, and I think, in my mind, my late 40s have been challenging, so I'm thinking if I can just get into my 50s, I'll have it made. If I get into my 50s, then I can enjoy life. He laughed, and he said, Dinah, I've found that each stage in life has its own challenge. Paul wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. He essentially said to the Philippians, What are you waiting for? Go ahead. Rejoice now and always. Philippians is just four short chapters, 
But let me remind you of some of the things that we learn about the faithful in Philippi in just a few pages. In the opening chapter, Paul refers to those who oppose the Philippians, those who cause them suffering. This could be a social threat like betrayal, or it could have been physical, an actual physical attack upon the faithful. That wasn't unheard of in the early church in an imperial setting. Either way, this group knows the kind of pain that can be imposed upon us by other people. Then in chapter 3, Paul writes about some bad teachers. He refers to them as dogs, and he tells the Philippians, these dogs will mislead you by teaching that you can earn your righteousness or accomplish it through what you do, instead of teaching that God's grace is given freely to all, no matter their social status. Like when he wrote to those in Galatia, there is no longer any Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. But that's not all that's going on in Philippi. There's also a disagreement between two leaders in the congregation. They're women, Euodia and Syntyche. They're at odds with each other. But their interpersonal issue has become bigger than just the two of them. The whole congregation is affected. So Paul calls them to unity to find common ground instead of amplifying a minor disagreement. Well, that sounds like an ancient issue. We don't do that today. Take a disagreement with another person and amplify it by going out to win converts to see things my way, at the same time casting blame on the person or the people who don't see it the way that I do. They're heretics or haters. We don't do that. If we did, Paul would call us to a common ground because he says that Euodia and Syntyche, that both of their names are written in the book of life. His immediate instruction right after addressing this blown out of proportion disagreement, the very next verse in Scripture is this, Rejoice in the Lord always. The life of faith is hard, and it's complicated, and yet joy always. And this joy exists in spite of our circumstances. If you're anything like me, you think if I can just get through this bump in the road, if I can get through this hardship, or if I can just get to a particular point in life when my kids are in school, or maybe they graduate from school, or when my savings account has just enough money in it, then there will be joy. There's a book about joy. It's titled The Book of Joy, and it's an interview and a conversation between two old religious leaders, Bishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. They define joy as a way of being, shining contentment, they say, or spiritual radiance. It's born of a deep sense of well-being and benevolence a sense of well-being and a sense of benevolence suggests to me the importance of connection, connection with God and connection with other people. 
The advice that Paul gives is not simply rejoice always, but the advice that Paul gives is rejoice in the Lord always. The final exhortations that Paul gives to the Philippians in chapter 4 of this book in the New Testament at first glance appears to be just a list of random good advice, like the advice that I give to my college daughter as she leaves to return to school. Take good care of yourself. Eat well. Buy groceries. Drive carefully. Put gas in your car. Get some rest. But I think what Paul wants for them to know What he wants for them to know is that this perspective of joy is attainable because of their faith. It's attainable because the Lord is near to them. The Lord is near now in this moment as we breathe and speak, and the Lord is coming soon, returning to set all things right. So we experience God's presence in each moment, and we expect continued deliverance until deliverance is accomplished for all. The Lord is near. So don't let your attention endlessly orbit around your sufferings, Paul writes. Joy is not in a bright circumstance, but joy is instead in a shared connection. You probably noticed that when N.T. Wright translates this particular passage of the Bible, He doesn't use the word rejoice, but instead he uses the word celebrate. I think celebration is hard to do alone, by yourself. N.T. Wright says that we tend to think of joy as welling up from the inside of us, and to some extent that is true. But rejoicing in the first century was a public display. It was a celebration. There were great festivals and games and shows that were organized to celebrate towns and cities and and minor gods. I'm beginning to recognize the public nature of joy. Joy often surfaces in my life as a spark that comes from connection, connection with God and grateful prayer and connection with other people and generosity. I've been thinking this week about joy like the parachute that we used to take out when I was a kid in PE class. One person waving that thing around wasn't much fun. And two people can't get much done with that giant parachute. But when there are three or four or ten or twenty, then there's some action. And I believe that joy is shared in this way. Author Karen Wright March says that when C.S. Lewis wrote about matters of faith, he often talked about joy. When as a young adult he returned to his cradle faith, it wasn't through fear or a sense of duty, but instead it was through a willingness to be charmed. God, Lewis explained, is the source of joy, the source of joy that captivates mind and heart. When C.S. Lewis found himself in a time of grief after losing the surprise love of his life, late in life, to cancer, he wrote that he had a dream. In this dream, he was trapped in an airless, lightless dungeon, alone by himself. 
But then he heard a faint sound far away, and he realized that he wasn't trapped, but if he could hear a sound, he was instead free. And then he heard another sound, laughter, right beside him, a friend, a good, good sound. It was for him in the stream he wrote a flash of joy. Remember Lucy and the Chronicles of Narnia? Lewis's character, a little girl who fumbles around in an old wardrobe full of musty old coats and cloaks, and then she steps out into this quiet world that's glistening with fresh snow. When she encounters Aslan, the majestic lion, he says to her, I knew that you would not be long in coming to me. Joy shall be yours. I am quickly recognizing joy these days by the sound that accompanies it. The song and music that's in worship, the laughter that comes from my kids' side of the house, the dog that snores beside me on the floor as I write at my desk, the bouncing of the basketball outside, or the words, I'm home, that echo down the hallway as the garage door opens and shuts with excitement. Are you listening for joy? It's there, whether we hear it or not.